And the ancient rabbis back in the day used to say that scripture had 70 faces or facets, um, like an expertly cut gemstone. And when you're reading scripture and you're looking through it, um, you keep turning it over like a gem. And as you turn it different ways and in different, way, different shapes and sizes, it reflects different light. You can see different things as we read scripture. Not that we get completely different interpretations, but we get different ideas and we learn different things from scripture as we keep reading, as we keep turning the gem 70 times. Rabbi Lawrence wrote a book called God Was in This Place, and I, I Did Not Know. In each chapter of that book, um, in each chapter of that book, he takes one verse for the book and he uses a different interpretation for each verse. They don't contradict each other, but we learn different things from, different ver- from the same verse as we read at different times. So you keep turning the gem, seeing something new each time. And that's what we do here pretty much every week. That's what we did last Sunday. We took some verses and a story that we knew really well. And then we turned the gem a couple of times. And we looked at it from different angles. And God taught us different things about who he is and who we are. What he thinks about us and how he works in our lives and what he expects out of us in his kingdom. So that's what we do here. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to read scripture. We're going to... Let it read us in a way. We're going to dive into people's stories like we have been in the past and try to discover our story and how we fit into all that God has said and all that God teaches us. So when it comes to nights like this, Monday, Thursday, we do this night every night of the every year on this night. But how well do we know it? How well do we understand? what we're actually sitting in here, what we're actually talking about. For example, if I gave you a fill-in-the-blank and said, what does Monday mean? What would we get? Monday is an old-school word that basically is a derivative of the, of the word mandate or command, as in Jesus commanding his disciples on Monday, Thursday, at that supper that we're going to talk about in a little bit commanding them to love and serve one another. And then if we turn the gem in a different direction, we see Jesus commanding us. He says these things, these words that you heard over here, you heard about, do this in remembrance of me. Those are commands. Those are mandates. Jesus said to serve and love each other. And as an example, he washed his disciples' feet that night. So when we turn the gem in different directions, we see Jesus commanding us to come to the Lord's table and doing that in remembrance of him. If we turned it a couple more times, we'd see some different instructions. We'd see some other things that Jesus tells us to do. And when it comes to reading about the Passover, the Passover meal, that's where we're really going to park tonight. We can keep turning that gem. Talk about the Passover meal, we can keep turning that gem and see 72 beautiful facets as it would offer up on, on a Monday, Thursday. So Monday, Thursday, middle of Holy Week. I told you last Sunday, Palm Sunday, Lamb Selection Sunday, that's the beginning of Holy Week. A few short days ago, we talked about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on that donkey, right? The Prince of Peace, right? Symbolized that he had won victory over death in the grave that hadn't been done yet in time, but in essence, had already done, been done. It was about to happen in a few more days. He rode that donkey to symbolize that he had won the battle. The battle was over. That peace was now a thing to be grasped by all those who believe in his name. 
the peace that he had won between you and God is the way we looked at it. God the Father, the creator of all things. Now earlier in Holy Week, in, in this time, if we think about this as the Thursday that Jesus was with his disciples, earlier in this week, there had been some people who were trying, to, the religious leaders and people like that, trying to put Jesus in his place. I said um, he would be examined the same way as a Passover lamb would be examined for the next several days. That lamb that was now tied outside of a post, outside of the temple, being scrutinized and make sure it was, making sure that it was perfect, looking into its eyes and questioning, and they were doing the same thing with Jesus, questioning him and making sure, you know, and they didn't realize what they were doing. But then it was time to celebrate the Passover feast. Same way they'd been doing for 1,500 years since the time of Moses, right? the Passover feast. Sometimes the meal is referred to as the Seder meal. Um, the word Seder, I'm going to mention this a couple of times so that we get it in our heads. The word Seder means order, right? because there's a set order, a specific order of how things are supposed to be done at this Seder meal. If we, again, put ourselves in that time frame with Jesus and his disciples earlier tonight, on this night, Jesus sent his disciples to prepare a room for the Passover meal. Like I said last Sunday, he came into town referred on the day referred to as Lamb Selection Day, that 10th day of Nisan that you heard read earlier. This is the day that every Jewish family would select a one-year-old lamb, a perfect lamb, to be sacrificed at Passover to atone for their sins. And then Jesus, last Sunday, rode into town as the selected lamb that the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb, perfect sacrifice. And so now on this night, Jesus kept surprising his disciples. Like I said, the first thing he did was he took off his outer garment. We're going to see that later on in this story. He took off his outer garment and washed his disciples' feet. Then later, he breaks the order of the Seder. Seder means order, and he broke the order, and he broke the script. He raised that cup and said, this is the New Testament in my blood. Shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. See, that, that Passover meal, that Seder meal, um, started that night um, with Moses in Egypt, right? And it had progressed and changed a little bit. It had progressed um, for its purpose into the meal that Jesus and his disciples were celebrating together. It had been established for a long time before Jesus and his disciples sat down. Don't get me wrong. And I don't need to tell you that that's where we get our celebration that we celebrate, we call Holy Communion. We do it every other week here. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it once, like on the first Sunday. There are some churches that don't do it very often. In fact, they might only do it on Monday, Thursday. I had some cousins when I was a kid. I had some cousins come over from Norway. We'll call them distant cousins, but they had never experienced communion. And they were my age, and they asked me, what's it like? to experience communion. Blew my mind that something that I took for granted, these people didn't know about. Now I say that it progressed, the Seder meal, the Passover meal, progressed into the meal that Jesus and his disciples celebrated because as it was with Moses and for many hundreds of years after Moses, Passover was all about the lamb. It's all about the lamb, bringing that lamb to the temple to be sacrificed. But as it progressed through Jewish history, the, the meaning didn't change, but the sim symbolism changed. Added a couple of things here and there to focus on what God had done through Moses. To celebrate what God had done through Moses. 
two things that I want to focus on tonight are, are two of the things that we do here on a regular basis. The first thing I want to focus on is the cups of the Seder meal. And I said earlier the word Seder means order, and there's a, there's a strict order to the meal with, with a script that goes along with that meal every evening. We might get into some of that some other time, but now I want to focus on how it applies to us here. I want to focus on how it applies to us here and how we can learn from it as, as literally we turn that gem around in our hands and we, we learn from it and we, we understand it better, understand why and how we celebrate Holy Communion, where it's come from and how it's progressed to how we see it today. So like I said before, it was all about the lamb being sacrificed. But then God provided the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world once and for all. So the elements then being used at the Seder meal started to make more sense. That's the way we see it with God's festivals. God's festivals were really a rehearsal for the Messiah coming. And when the Messiah came and we saw everything that was going on, everything all of a sudden fell into place like a puzzle where all the pieces suddenly just all at once jammed back together again and you see that beautiful picture. Keep in mind that the elements uh, we used were used by Jesus and they were established long ago. Now, there's four cups in the Seder meal. Four cups that represent what we call the I will statements of God. You see that in Exodus 6 where God says, I will do these things. These are the statements that God made to Moses. The first cup is the cup of thanksgiving. The second cup is this cup of sanctification. And the third cup is where we're going to focus on. It's the cup that we celebrate when we celebrate Holy Communion behind me here. Now, I read from Luke's writings tonight. I've got it right here. I read from Luke's writings tonight because um, although this Passover meal is recorded in all four Gospels, more or less, sometimes less, but more or less, um, and by the way, this is the Passover meal. I've heard people argue that this was not really a Passover meal, but Jesus said in Luke, he said, I have greatly desired to share this Passover meal with you, so I don't know how we can get uh, around the fact that it is, it is the Passover meal. So it sounds like that. I mean, if we say, you know, I think we should get used to saying Passover meal instead of saying Last Supper. Last Supper sounds kind of like a, a going away party like a, a, a finger food, sand, finger sandwiches and things like that for Jesus, but that's not what it is. It's a celebration and it's a culmination of everything that had happened up to this point in history. It's like everything was pointing to this moment and Jesus stepped up, turned the gem a couple of times and flipped everybody on their heads. Luke 22, 17 says this. Well, let me, let me back up a little bit um, because Luke gives us the details about the cup that Jesus is talking about. You hear me say the words every time, you know, after supper, right? After supper. And that's why I keep emphasizing that the Seder meal has a, a specific order to it. So when he says, Luke says, and he's the only one that mentions that, by the way. Paul doesn't mention it. Matthew doesn't mention it. Luke does. And when he says those words after supper, we know exactly where they are in the Seder meal, where the, exactly where they are in the progression of the meal. After supper tells us um, that there was actually, or Luke actually tells us that there was cup, bread, and then a cup in, in succession here. Verse 17, let's see if I can get through this. Verse 17, Luke says that Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus took a cup. And it's interesting, the article he uses there, he took a cup. Later he says he took the cup. 
Here in the second cup, he says, he took a cup, gave thanks, and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. This is verse 17. Divide it among yourselves. This would be the second cup. This would be the cup of sanctification. And the word sanctification basically means this. It means growing closer to who God created you to be. Growing closer to who God created you to be. And when we look at the will of God, right, we look at those statements where the Bible actually says the words, for this is the will of God. Sometimes we wonder what the will of God is. What does God want from us? One of the places where it says, for this is the will of God, says your sanctification. For you to become more like Christ, to grow closer to him in your relationship with him. That's what Lent is all about, growing closer in your relationship to him. So although we don't ever celebrate, that's why I've got two cups up here. I don't know if you can see them. That's why I've got two cups sitting up here. One is representing the cup of sanctification. And then the second cup, it will be the third cup we're going to talk about in a second. But I feel like we're a little incomplete when we don't celebrate and don't partake in that cup of sanctification. So tonight we're going to do things a little bit different. Before we go on and before we before I finish my message here and before we go on and receive um, communion tonight, we are going to partake in the cup of sanctification. Jesus said it like this. He took a cup, or Luke says it like this. Jesus took a cup, gave thanks, and then said, divide this among you. So just like we go through communion, we're going to dismiss from the back of the church because the last will be first, the first shall be last. I'd like you to partake in what we are now looking at as the cup of sanctification. Because like I said, when we look at scripture, that's what it says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I didn't think this all the way through. I don't know what you're going to do with the empty cup. Figure it out. <laughs> Go ahead. And it's drink it right up. Back to your seat. Yeah. A little less formal than what we usually do because this is the cup of sanctification. This is a cup, not the cup. Go ahead and just pick it up, have a drink, and then... Carry that cup back to your seat.
the second cup, the cup of sanctification. Now, you'll have to bear in mind a little bit that the temple was destroyed about 40 years, give or take, after Jesus rose, ascended into heaven. And so at that time, there was no longer a place for a sacrifice. The temple was destroyed. Jesus said, not one brick is going to be on top of another one. Completely destroyed. And by the way, it wasn't needed anymore. Sacrifices weren't needed anymore. So I think that might have been why God allowed the temple to be destroyed, because that would have been the easiest way to get rid of it. Trying to get, instead of trying to teach him how to not have sacrifices anymore, he said, let's just get rid of that temple. Let's just get rid of it, because the main purpose of that temple was for sacrifices. And he said, we just don't need it anymore. So the focus then for the Passover meal changed from the lamb, although it still ate lamb, changed from the lamb to the bread. Changed from the lamb to the bread. And the bread had always been there. The same way, you know, but as, again, as we turn the gem, right, and we let different light shine on it, especially at this moment in history, we let different light shine on it. We see why, what the bread stands for. First of all, when Jesus took the bread, he took it out of a bag like this one right here. It's called the afikoman. And there's three chambers in it. There's an upper chamber, there's a middle chamber, and there's a lower chamber. And each of these chambers has a piece of matzah bread in it. Looks like a big giant cracker. And Jesus, just like everyone would have in the Seder meal, took the middle piece, took the piece out of the middle. And there was a lot of debate earlier in history about why there were three chambers in it. But now it became very obvious to us because it represents God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So what comes out of the Afikoman is, is God the Son, Jesus, comes out of here. And then a crazy thing happens. And during the Seder meal, this middle piece of bread gets broken And then gets wrapped in a white linen. And then gets hidden away. You see what just happened there? The sun. It's broken. Wrapped in a white linen. Is this ringing a bell to anybody yet? You can't make this stuff up. Wrapped in a white linen gets hidden away. Jesus did that at this Seder meal. Comes out later on. But let's take a look at this bread. And we've looked at this in the past, but it bears repeating. First of all, let's remember a couple of things. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus is from Bethlehem. That's literally the city of bread. That's what the translation for Bethlehem really means. First of all, this bread is unleavened, means it doesn't have any yeast in it. Yeast is used, um, leaven is used in the Bible as a symbol for sin. Right? So this bread doesn't have any yeast in it. This bread is representing Jesus. And then if you look at it, you can see these burn marks on it. Right? See these burn marks on it. These are called the bruises of the bread. See? And if you look at it really carefully, you can see that there's perforations in it. 
And those perforations are in it because that's how it cooks. Because it doesn't have any leaven in it. It doesn't puff up. It needs to have these in it so it cooks properly. So we have these piercings in there. We have these bruises in there. And then you also notice, just by looking at it even from back there, it looks like it has stripes on it. Right? This bread, again, the bread that Jesus broke is representing him in ways that, unless you turn the gem more times than you can imagine, it, it starts to make sense. Because what does Isaiah say about Jesus? What does he say about the Messiah coming and suffering and dying? In Isaiah 53, verse 5, he says this, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace, how many times have we talked about that? The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his what? His stripes. We are healed. So the very bread that God had them using from the very beginning probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to everybody until all of a sudden, like I said, on this night, all of a sudden all the pieces started to come together. As if by magic, all of a sudden all the pieces jumped together at the same time, and now here we are looking at it. Jesus connecting all those dots for us. Jesus turned the gem, right? Set everything that we thought we knew on its head. And he passed out this bread, which represented him all this time. The bread that represented him all this time told his disciples to remember what this bread represents. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what this bread represents and what it has represented all along. Right? Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our sins. By his stripes, we are healed. And as we let Luke narrate the scene, as we let Luke narrate the scene, we know that the cup Jesus took after that was the third cup. And again, he changed the script. This is the cup of blessing. The third cup. This is the one we talk about all the time. He said this cup is the New Testament. He said, it's a new deal, it's a new covenant in my blood that I'm about to shed for you. I'm about to shed for you, pour out for you, for your transgressions, for your sins. Then it becomes obvious why we call it the cup of blessing. Sometimes it's called the cup of redemption. To redeem somebody means that you buy them with a price, for a price, and, and, then, and then set them free. And when the sun sets us free, we are free indeed. These things that are laying here on the table, these things that had been done for 1,500 years since Moses, right, had progressed to the, to the point where Jesus was doing the things that we're just talking about right here tonight, the same way we're talking about it tonight. But nobody could connect the dots because God hasn't turned the gem for them yet. And then all of a sudden everything started falling into place. And so when we drink from that cup of sanctification that says, I'm going to try to grow closer to who God is, who God created me to be. And then we put our trust, we put our faith in the one that he sent. 
the one that came riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, on Lamb Selection Sunday, the, sin, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then he offers us these symbols that, again, were right in front of our face this whole time, and nobody had any idea. Why do these bread, why do we call it, they've always called it the bruises on the bread. They've always called it the bruises on the bread. And it finally started making sense. The bread was always pierced. And Isaiah wrote about it so that we could look back at it now. We could turn the gem a couple of times. And all of a sudden it starts to make a little more sense. Things start to fall into place. We're going to continue with the service, but before I do, Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians 10.16. He says, Is not the cup of blessing, the one we're going to partake in here a minute, in a minute, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Would you please stand with me?